let's say you're a healthcare practitioner. You service patients day in and day out. You get that experience up. You build up your network. And one day, you finally make it. You buy your own practice. You're now a clinic owner. You've done it. But wow, now the fun begins, especially in this current climate. Talk about the challenges, macroeconomic issues, people factors, technology changes, regulation, funding. It can all be overwhelming and might make you wonder why you even got into it in the first place. But if you've got the right support, the right resources, and sure, with a lot of resilience and maybe some luck, it can be a remarkably rewarding journey to allow you to do what you got into healthcare in the first place for, to do good. So with me today is someone who lives and breathes the world of clinic ownership. He's run and sold his own clinic before, and he helps lots of clinic owners around the country with running their own practice. It's Jack O'Brien from Clinic Mastery. And in this episode, we're talking about the clinic ownership environment over the past few years, the challenges around recruitment and retention of quality staff for your practice, and how as a clinic owner, you can amplify your impact in 2022 and beyond. Let's do this. Collaboration starts with the Conversation Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech, a podcast and membership community about technology in healthcare. Here's your host, Peter Birch. With me today is Jack O'Brien, business coach, mentor, and director at Clinic Mastery. He's also the host of the Grow Your Clinic podcast and a proud THT Plus member. Jack O'Brien, how are you? Jack O'Brien, how are you? Good to see you, Peter. Good to be back. Do, I, does, do many people call you Peter or is it just your mum? <laughs> you know what? I, I'm going I'm to like you've started already a story. We're just talking about rambling on podcasts. And even with that, I've got a story. <laughs> I, I say yeah. Pete if it's just like just my first name, but if I'm saying my first and last name, it's Peter Birch because I don't like the Pete Birch, the d sound, but uh, yeah. Let's go I, from it out. Yeah. yeah and I've thought about that way too much. So thank you for, for reminding me. But, Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it's been a while since we've been on the podcast. We've talked in between things, but we're just looking before episode 49, way back then, you came on the wow. show and that was mid 2020. That one came out. So we, we were talking COVID in the early days then, pandemic. You have a, you have been on the summit circles as well in one of our summits mm -hmm. back in the day, very much representing from the allied health side. But for those that aren't familiar with Jack or haven't heard from you for a while, tell us a bit more about you and your background, please. Mm, thanks, mate. I'm a physiotherapist by trade. That's what I've studied and practiced. And it was a physiotherapy clinic owner, multi-site across Newcastle and the Hunter region here in New South Wales up until a couple of months ago. <laughs> so uh, recently sold and exited out of the clinic ownership land concurrently. Mm. And the, one of the directors of Clinic Mastery. So we help allied health clinics to amplify their impact and to, to ultimately grow their clinic. And so I've kind of been doing both clinic ownership myself and helping clinic owners now I'm all in 100% business mentoring and coaching for allied health clinic owners. Very cool. Well, congratulations on the on the clinic too. Interested just on that before we, before we move on, the, the, the sale of the clinic, from what I hear, not owning a clinic, but also just thinking from the technology side or an asset that you've kind of built up and that's been yours. Some people see that as like the, that's the goal in the end that might be, you know, to build up the business, to sell others, do it because then they've for other reasons. And you obviously deal with a lot of clinic owners, that whole mm -hmm. uh, sale of the clinic side of things. Why, why was that important to you? 
Yeah, I think for me, I my clinic had grown and clinic mastery was growing and I couldn't do both or I couldn't mm. do both justice. So I just didn't have enough hours in the day to serve all the people up to the best of my ability. So that was the crunch. But I think ultimately as business owners, we want to build a business to be saleable, right? You don't have to want to sell now or exit now, but you might not even be able to entertain the idea, but one day your situation and your circumstance will change. And so if you've got a saleable business, it's saleable, but it means you built a good asset. It means you've mm. built a good machine. So even if you don't want to exit now, build it so you could sell. And that means you've got some robustness around your tech and your IP and your systems, your contracts, and there's there's inherent value. I think it's a good framework to consider whether or not you're going to exit in the short term or not. And I think too, because as a clinic owner, you're usually clinical in and of itself and running a business is is a full-time job in itself too. So this, and that's why we talk about burnout a lot with business owners or, or in, in the clinical world as well. Yeah. And, and if you're not building it to be saleable, that means that you're taking everything on your own shoulders because it's not very attractive if it's just you running the show. Exactly. And the other thing I think too, is that as a business owner, you invest so much time and money and you want to see return on that, not just in your salary or the profits along the way. Mm. But if you could build an asset from scratch to be worth multiple hundreds or even up in the you know seven figure zone, uh, that's a really good outcome. So we want to realize the value that we built in this asset, mm. but that takes detail and attention. I learned, learned a lot of lessons through the exit process, but we can end up with an asset that is a really rewarding transition and exit. And so that, that sale process, that would obviously contribute even more kind of experience from your side to be able to share through the, the clinic mastery circles, <laughs> yeah. I imagine. What, what's been keeping yeah, you busy yeah. on the clinic mastery side? Oh, mate, it's funny. So as I was going through the exit process, we hit a couple, we had a number of speed bumps. We tried once and failed. We ended up completing the sale the second time around. But as I was going through, there was this meta experience of like, yes, I want a good deal personally, and I want a, a win-win arrangement, but I also want a really good story to be able to yeah, tell right. everyone about. Yeah. Not tell, but teach and walk through. Sure. And, you know, we walk, we walk clinic owners through exits and successions and transitions all the time. And so for me to have such a breadth of personal experience now is really helpful and entertaining, if mm. nothing else. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I can see how that would be the case. Tell me a bit more about Clinic Mastery and what, what the focus is these days. Yeah. So we're really on a journey to amplify the impact of clinics for good. So we talk about a clinic for good being a business that is good and does good. So we're really passionate about helping clinic owners in that space. I think typically in the business coaching landscape, it can end up a little bit about all the money and the new clients and shiny things. But we want to see clinic owners and clinics that are sound businesses and that do good in their communities locally and globally. And I think, you know, for us and for any health professional listening, allied, medical, whatever side of the fence you sit, we all wake up in the morning to go to work for our own version of helping other people. And so for, for us at Clinic Mastery, it's an extension of that is helping clinic owners to amplify their impact as they help others. So we're on a big journey of helping more and more clinic owners to become a certified clinic for good in time is the current project is the nice. certification process. Oh, that's a good idea. I like that too. And so I know as well, You've got a few different platforms and methods of communication with clinic owners to be able to do just that in terms of helping them. And I saw there's a book now as well too. That's pretty exciting. Oh, 
Here's what I prepared earlier. Yes, for those <laughs> watching along, we, we released the Grow Your Clinic book just a couple of weeks ago at the time of recording. Ben Lynch, my business partner, is the key author there and the Clinic Mastery team. But yeah, The Seven Degrees to Growing Your Clinic. It is a solid textbook. It looks uh, of yeah. how you, And it works across allied and would work in medical space as well. Dental, it's a textbook to grow your clinic. Yeah, there nice. There you go. So you got a reference point. You look at that. Love it. Love it. Well, there'll be the details in the show notes of the episode for people to learn more about that one for sure. But but what are you finding? It's been a, a wild ride for everyone over the last couple of years and clinic owners are no exception. What are some of the key themes you've found that have been, you know, front of mind and core across the different types of clinic owners? Yeah, wild ride is, um, that's the understatement of the year, Pete. Mm, mm, <laughs> absolutely. Well, what we found, and in our observation, the last six months or, or the first six months of 2022 have arguably been some of the most challenging of the whole pandemic, but particularly from a people side of things. So in the clinic on the day-to-day, we're seeing still so many patients having to isolate at home or close contact rules or a lower threshold for being sick and for cancelling appointments, et cetera. And so that's a real challenge for clinics is managing patient flow and patients who are cancelling all the time. And then Couple that with therapists, practitioners who have to isolate or are sick or there's a lower threshold for personal leave and sick leave. And so there's this real challenge in around people availability. And so what we're seeing predominantly as the biggest challenge is not about getting more patients. Like, yes, that's a challenge, but it's not the biggest challenge. The the bigger challenge is getting more practitioners and having enough team members to be able to, you know, you can want to grow as much as you like. But if you don't have the practitioners to service the demand, you're capped. Mm. And so people management, clinic, and thirdly, clinic ownership now is leadership, right? It's human-centric. We're in times of challenge and there's economic uncertainty and all the buzzwords around inflation and interest rates, et cetera. Being able to rally the troops and lead with vision and compassion and empathy and still drive an organization to be profitable in more challenging times. Like the sun's been shining for the last you know, 15 odd years since the GFC. And so we haven't had to lead in tough times, relatively speaking. Now, more challenging times, leadership's really rising. So yeah, people and leadership is by far and away the biggest challenge we're observing. Yeah. I find that too, you know, in the build up to the pandemic, particularly in Australia as well, all the challenges on those that had bricks and mortar clinics that were impacted by um, natural disasters and we're not, it's always something to contend with here in Australia. And then obviously through the pandemic as well, they didn't get as much media attention, but always an issue there. Availability Mm -hmm. of stock resources, capability, dealing with staff who are either sick or have those. And so the resources there. And now with all of those economic factors and very much front of mind with anyone running a business, looking at doing it, profitable it's it's exhausting it's exhausting oh, it's tough yeah. yeah like resilience is really being challenged that innovation you know you mentioned bricks and mortar and so how many people had to shift to telehealth or a hybrid model or mm. just navigate all these novel complexities yes. that we haven't had to consider historically yes. And so th- this point around finding and retaining the right staff members, you mentioned it, to have the patients is one thing, but if you can't service them, particularly in, in service industry like healthcare, where, where you need the practitioners, the therapists, the, the carers, that's critical. So walk me through this point around doing the recruitment and retention of staff well. Yeah, well, macroeconomically, right? If the supply and demand shift mm. is what we've seen is, and there's so many factors, right? You could pin it on the universities not being able to educate and push through as many practitioners. We could blame it on immigration and that's probably a factor with COVID border restrictions, et cetera, but it's a supply and demand issue. And historically, we've had an oversupply of 
labor in simple terms. And so the power or the opportunity has been on the employer. Mm. They've got to pick that, you know, you'd have, you put up a job, you'd have seven applicants and you get to pick the best one. These days you put up a job and you get no applicants mm. <laughs> or you might get two applicants who have put their name down at six other clinics. And so that supply and demand is a real challenge. And so clinic owners have to get resourceful now, <laughs> all of a sudden we've got to get resourceful and the changing sociographics or the way people are behaving, the way practitioners are behaving, the way the labor market is behaving has shifted. So we've got to get resourceful. Right. That's something that clinic owners really have to shift, right? You can't just pop an ad up on Seek and hope someone sees it. Or most of our associations have job boards and directories mm. and just slapping something up, something generic like everyone else and hoping you get a good applicant ain't going to cut it anymore. Yeah. And so remuneration's often a really important factor for anyone taking the job need to get paid. Do you find that's the biggest factor that's determining whether people would take a gig in a clinic setting? Yeah, no, good question, Pete. I think it's a factor for sure. You know, we'd be, we'd be lying if we said it wasn't. And it's probably become a higher priority, but I wouldn't say it's the highest. Mm. Yes, the cost of living and inflation and, and wage pressures, all that sort of stuff is bringing remuneration to the fore of conversations earlier. But I I would say it depends on who you're trying to recruit. So if you're looking to recruit a, a younger, more inexperienced, more inexperienced, less experienced <laughs> therapist, they're, they're perhaps a little more naive around finances. And I don't mean that in the negative sense, but perhaps those with more experience and a higher cost of living, kids and schools and whatever, they're a little bit more sensitive to remuneration. And so, yes, navigating those conversations. In our observation, the younger, more fresher graduates are really conscious of finances, but they're not necessarily motivated by finances. And what I mean by that is they're, they're thinking about how much revenue they're generating for their, you know, for the business. And they're trying to match up, well, my remuneration doesn't match my revenue. And how do I navigate this? And how does that fit in a private practice context, right? Like healthcare should be, you know, there's a lot of social pressure to like, oh, should healthcare be free? Should it be privatized? Yes. Yeah. So they're, they're quite sensitive to those types of conversations. So there's definitely a pressure on wages generally, more so than there has been historically. But I would say that culture and workplace environment and pathways, and this is what we teach a lot is around creating pathways for practitioners. One of the really interesting observations, we've just done to our knowledge, the first allied health industry-wide study, not just in you know physio or psychology, but the average age of a, an allied healthcare worker is in their 30s. And the, the average career length of an allied health professional is less than 10 years, right? Like we're just not seeing people stick around. And in some professions, it's as low as six or seven years. And so people aren't sticking around. And so why aren't they sticking around? Is it just there's not enough opportunities being created? So we can blame that on all sorts of things, you know, oh, transient workforce, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Or I would say clinic owners, we get to put up a hand, take responsibility and say, I'm going to create pathways. I want to create opportunities for practitioners to thrive, to grow, to earn more, to explore business ownership or helping different pockets of people. We've got to be better at taking responsibility. If you've been kicking around this industry a bit like me, or maybe even you're brand new to digital health, you've probably worked out that health tech is not an individual sport. Whatever you're trying to achieve, whether you're delivering healthcare for patients or you're building health technology, or perhaps you're helping deploy solutions across health systems, you need a tribe, a community of like-minded individuals who just get it that if we're going to transform healthcare, then technology is going to play a huge part in it. 
So to learn and connect about health tech and level up your game, consider joining our THT Plus membership community. We've got options for every stage of growth, whether you're a solo individual or a startup or scale-up company. As an individual, you get access to our exclusive community forum, you get a warm intro to two other members from me each month, you get free access to our quarterly virtual summits and a bunch of other exclusive goodies. Companies can bring team members into the community, plus you get a presence on our website as a THT Plus member, you can post content like news events and jobs, and of course we love to showcase our members, so when you join as a company THT Plus member, you'll get to appear on this podcast with your very own episode. This podcast is made possible through the support of our members. It's literally the heart of everything we do. So consider joining as a THT Plus member. You can join anytime online. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash THT Plus. That's an interesting one too, because I remember speaking with more in the primary care setting. So I'm keen to, to learn from you about, you know, from the allied side as well. But, you know, maybe 20 years ago, even, even 10, 15 years ago, the, the more typical career path for a general practitioner would be you, you become a GP and then basically you die a GP. <laughs> like you, you, you work in a clinic every day and progression means eventually potentially owning a clinic. But then there are many GPs coming through now where progression and success to them is that they get to see patients once or twice a week, but they also then get to consult for a technology company or they get to do right. other kind of bits and pieces too. So what have you seen that looks like? Yeah, it's challenging because in a, in a clinical like therapeutic care setting, it does feel a little bit stunted. Like there's not that many places to progress to. Mm. And so we're seeing clinic owners need to get creative with their pathways. Like if we can come back and talk about recruitment and some of the platforms you can use, the ideologies mm. that you can, you know, broaden your horizon on. But if we're not retaining great people, not just, not just good talent, but good people, if you're not retaining good people, your culture will suffer and ultimately your business dreams won't be able to get to where you want them to be. So retention and nurturing of people and creating pathways takes creativity. Yes, we want to help them progress their clinical skills. and But what we're seeing, Pete, is clinic owners need to create a number of different pathways or streams that their team could choose to go down. And then we need to reverse engineer career opportunities for our team. So some of the examples that we see, some of the more creative clinic owners and those that are keeping team members for years and sometimes decades, they are creating financial pathways and opportunities for practitioners. I mean, the reality is, Pete, it's really hard for, an, and this might be really interesting for uh, some of your audience. We often have this conversation with those in primary care. It's really challenging for an allied health practitioner to earn more than $100,000 mm. in a private practice setting. It's, it's really tricky. Mm. So how can we as clinic owners create opportunities for them to improve and drive up their salary? Mm. And maybe it is seeing more patients, but it's but maybe it's in specializing their clinical care. Maybe it is in consulting in a different way or taking on more business responsibility. But if we don't create opportunities for individuals to earn more, sometimes at least they might just for a season, they'll take a job outside of health or in a different part of the healthcare sector. Then they can earn a lot more. So financial pathways, leadership opportunities. How can we help practitioners to mentor young therapists, to train and develop and supervise other practitioners? Can we teach them leadership in the clinic sense? Can we teach them business ownership skills? Is there an opportunity for team members to buy in to your practice, right? What does an ownership pathway look like? Can we create side hustle opportunities? Like you alluded to, that part-time hybrid model mm. is becoming a re really attractive. Like a practitioner might want to see patients for a couple of days a week and work on their own app or their crypto investing or whatever it might be on the side and have that lifestyle. Like, you know, so many young people these days want 
balance and whatever balance is i personally feel like it's a bit of a myth at least at this stage <laughs> of life uh but the harm work-life harmony right and yeah can we break the mold of maybe what we traditionally think in order to create opportunities for people to love what they do and continue to want to contribute and show up to work retention is huge and it's ongoing right yeah. it's not a matter of defining these pathways and saying all right you pete employee you must fit into one of these it's like no here's a blank canvas where do you want to start and how can we reverse engineer what's going to help you to, to be happy and fulfilled at work? Yes. What is it that will fulfill you and how do we as a business reverse engineer that environment for you to thrive? Yeah. You mentioned culture as well as, as a really important part. And it's something we say, we say so often these days and it's kind of like a given, but I think of the clinics that I've worked in and worked from it's the people that you work with that bring you back every day. It's not the structure. It's an even, it's the shared experience of the challenges that you have with other people too. So fostering that as, as a leader is really important, but also the, the tools that they use in the practice too. And I guess, you know, from a, from a technology point of view, if you're investing in the right tools to be able to not just serve patients, so they've got a, a good experience because that's really important, but also, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good investment to make sure that the experience from your staff member's point of view isn't overly messy and frustrating as well. I think culture is easy in the good times and mm. proven in the more challenging times, right? Mm. And so what we've seen is how many clinics say they've got a great culture or, you know, profess that things are, we've got an amazing team, but when the rubber hits the road, you really see how it plays out and you want to, you want to be a values driven organization, right? And again, that kind of gets bandied around, but do our actions map our values? And so to your point, if you want a great culture that's hinged on having great tech, you know, you want one of your core values to be, I know a couple of clinics we work with would say things along the lines of, we pursue world-class. Right. And that sounds great, mm. you know, as a sticker up on the wall. Sure. But what that has to look like is a line item on your P&L that's investing in tech every year. Mm. And you want to recruit and attract great talent, then it probably takes investing in really good tech. There's so many great things in the in the physical space, you know, gym equipment and assessment tools, et cetera, or in the telehealth space. I know so many psych and speech clinics are really leaning into providing more tech for their team. But mm. do your values map your actions? that's probably going to determine whether people will be attracted and will stick around at your clinic. Yeah, absolutely. Earlier, you mentioned as well, some of the platforms. So thinking more in the recruitment side this time, where, where do you find these awesome people? You know, it's one thing to, to build the right environment for it and everything. And, you know, you can't just throw an ad up on Seek anymore or anything. Are there any platforms or methods or, or ways that you've found have been more mm -hmm. successful than others? Yeah, for sure. I think when, when you think about recruitment, you're either going to recruit people who are actively looking for a job or those who are already in a job but are not aware or haven't considered yep. progressing their career or transitioning mm -hmm. their career. And so how we approach those two different populations matters. Yeah, If there's an active job seeker community, that's one thing. But if there's perhaps content but indifferent employees who are working somewhere else but are open to the idea of transition, they're the ones, we've got to consider them and approach them differently. That's typically the bulk of the workforce at the moment. Everyone's mm. got a job, right? Unemployment's zero, <laughs> yeah. uh, at least in healthcare, basically. And so everyone's got a job. We need to open their mind to the possibilities. So what that means is the way we look at it, you know, recruitment is a five-stage or five-step process. And that job ad, job application, job interview is kind of stage 
three, stage four, stage five, like the end of the process. So, because it's easy to think of the interview as the start of the process to be completely, or, you know, right up the ad, right? Right up the ad. Yeah. Yeah. We need to recruit. Like we've got too many patients. We need to recruit. Like that's the start of the process. It's too, I wouldn't say you're too late, but you've missed so many opportunities. So what we would say is it's the same concept as marketing, essentially, right? You need to know who your avatars are, who are you attracting and know them intimately, not just their demos, but their social patterns and where do they spend time and who do they trust and where do they spend their money and what platforms are they on and how do we get in front of them? And so, so many clinics now are considering their website and their social media as recruitment tools more than patient marketing tools. So how are you showing up on your socials in a way that speaks to your future job applicants, right? And it really takes some of those marketing skills on those platforms to attract them. So it's things like using your Instagram stories to speak to your profession, speak to potential applicants, using the the tools that are available. If we use Instagram as an example, using polls and questions and sliders and getting people's DMs and using the voice memos inside DMs, especially on LinkedIn, like that's such a big one, right? Is LinkedIn, the ability to message people is huge, but the ability to connect a a voice memo or a video, Mm. it's huge. So using your website, using your social media to connect. And and then how how can we gather people and train and educate them so that they might want to one day apply for a job at our practice, right? And that's where running digital events is huge. We're seeing, I worked with a physiopodiatry clinic just a couple of weeks ago who ran a training event for final year students, right? And they had had nearly 50 students come to this webinar online and they've all of a sudden got a pool of 40 or 50 applicants now for their new grad job next year. And so they're using interactive training events. Podcast is huge. Like as a profession, we can teach and train. One of our team at Clinic Mastery has a podcast in the exercise physiology space. That's his recruitment strategy. And so we're we're creating awareness and education so that, and, and almost building a database, right? So that when we've got a job, we can promote it to that database that already know us, like us, trust us. But yes, the, the, the education piece, knowing your platforms and then connecting on a human level, voice, video, written on a one-to-one level is huge. I think also that's really good because too often I think, and, and I do this as well as a clinic or a business owner, when things might be getting tough or, you know, tough economic climates, you might immediately be going to the point of like, what's the immediate ROI of this activity that we're performing? So by spending an extra bit of time on the socials, how many more patients am I going to see? Or like, you know, like what's the one-to-one correlation here of this, this allocation of this scarce resource of my time or my team's time could probably be better off spent elsewhere. But if you're not, you know, spending that, that longer investment into building that culture or the day-to-day heartbeat, the things that people see that you might not, you know, get a, get a measure on what they're actually seeing. I think if that's overlooked for too long, it can, um, it can be the detriment. With branding versus sales, right? If we're talking in marketing sense, mm. we need to build a brand where people want to work. We know some clinics that are, have, have been certified great places to work using that awards yep. application process. And it's awards, like Telstra Business Award over my shoulder here. And are you a certified clinic for good? Like it's all those activities that mm. create a brand because ultimately a psychology practice A is the same as psychology practice B is the same as we're all yep. service delivery businesses. And so what sets you apart? What, what 
positions you as a desirable place to work. It's the brand that you create, but it's also the pathways and the opportunities that you've got to offer. We've got to be attracting good talent. We've got to be attracting good people. And we do, that's such a long game. Long game. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, then thinking about the future for, for Clinic Mastery then and what's going to be keeping you busy and that long game for, for Clinic Mastery, what's, what's on your radar for 2022 and beyond? Yeah, look, Pete, it, it, much of the same for us. It's continuing to help more and more clinics amplify their impact. So our team now is really covers the breadth of allied health from your typical MSK, physio, podiatry, osteo, through to more peds type clinics, speech pathology, uh, psychology, occupational therapy, the, the full gamut of allied health. A, like, like allied's a, when you say breadth, that's a wide breadth. Of it's great. We've got a couple of levels of opportunities. So helping those startups and solo, you know, solo heroes get off the ground and get going. But really what we're seeing and where this book is super helpful is, is around building leaders in our space, leaders that show up and want to help people and progress the industry and are not just in it for a quick buck, but are really there to make a difference and help their communities locally and globally. It really excites us. Yeah. Well, look, we'll put the details for Clinic Mastery in the show notes of this episode and for the book as well. We'll probably pick up a couple from the Talking Health Tech side and maybe do a giveaway with our members or something too, because I think that's a great resource for people to pick up if they're working in the space or even looking at building up to that point or running a clinic as well. Lots to to get stuck into there. Jack, always a pleasure, mate. Let's not leave it for another 200 episodes before we chat again on the, on the pod, but hopefully speak to you soon. Thanks for having me, Pete. Appreciate it. Before you go, just a reminder to jump over to our YouTube channel and subscribe and watch some episodes there. There are podcast episodes, summit sessions, and a bunch of other interesting content on our channel. You can just search Talking Health Tech in the YouTube app or click on the link in the show notes of your podcast player and it should just take you straight there. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast player and for more information, visit talkinghealthtech.com.